keep this short I'm gonna try not to overthink it spent the morning going through a whole bunch of documents getting ready for my trip I got my Esther approved I have a piece of paper here that says authorization approved US Customs and Border Protection have a nice trip welcome to the United States well I'm not there yet but thank you to begin with, I have Melbourne Bookshop poetry-related updates for you. So a couple of weeks back, I went to Neighbourhood Books in Westgarth. If I'm really honest with you, Neighbourhood Books is my least favourite bookshop in Melbourne. Uh, I feel like their collection is very... What's the word... It's just stressful. It's a stressful collection of books. They all seem like they're about things that I didn't realize I was meant to be worried about. And for a long time, they've had a collection of poetry that has been honestly very depressing. Sort of a mix of, like, it's, it's as if the buyer kind of Googled poetry for the first time and was like, and just bought like the top 10 books that came up. So it's a strange mix of like really, really popular American titles and historical material. No contemporary Australian poets for a long time, uh, with one or two exceptions. But lately, they've started to pick up their game considerably. And I went in there the other day and I was like, holy shit, Neighbourhood Books poetry section has doubled in size. And it has all these people who are actually living and writing in Australia today on the shelf. So I don't know who schooled them. Uh, good work, whoever that was. Yesterday, I also went over to Brunswick Books on Sydney Road, which has always had a fantastic poetry collection. It's a secondhand bookshop. But again, yesterday I went in there and the shelf that they used to have has been replaced by one that is twice as big. And they had all this new stuff in there. And I really wanted to look at it properly. But there were too many people. There were too many people in the secondhand bookshop. <laughs> this was the problem that I was dealing with. And there was a guy who was like taking things off the shelf in the poetry section and then sitting in a seat like right next to it and just kind of leafing through them, which was lovely, except that I couldn't get uh, close enough to actually see what was on the shelf and I just felt a bit I don't know it felt a bit awkward and weird to say hey could you um get the fuck up and move away so that I can see what's on the shelf uh yeah so I just I don't know I just shuffled away and left without buying anything but there were so many people in this bookshop it was crazy it was like three 4 p.m. on a Sunday, and Brunswick Books was just going off. It was like the place to be, and everyone was like 25. They were all so cool. I continue to be totally fascinated by this seeming rise in poetry's coolness and cred. Like, I did an episode over a year ago now about poetry being covered in Vanity Fair and this 
weirdo new right guy called Curtis Yarvin kind of trying to add to his credibility as a person such as it is um, through writing poetry on his Substack. <laughs> and I was trying to make the argument then that like we we're hitting peak poetry and very soon uh, there was going to be a backlash and poetry was going to be uncool because we would have taken up too much space in the, the cultural scene. But that doesn't seem to have happened yet. It seems like peak poetry is not coming. It just keeps getting cooler and more fashionable. And bookshops now are buying more poetry because people want to people wanna own it. This is totally fascinating to me because, I mean, I started, I suppose, seriously writing poetry around about 2007. It certainly wasn't cool at that stage. It didn't have this kind of weird rock star glamour around it at that point. I don't know, I mostly just find it sort of hilarious. It reminds me a bit of watching this change come through the comedy scene in the mid-2000s. I was deeply, deeply into people like Noel Fielding and Russell Brand and Mighty Bush and all that sort of stuff who came through kind of, you know, with their eyeliner and their their um, leather pants and all this sort of stuff and they they really made comedy seem very very cool they were kind of like rock stars and people used to say to them like what are you doing like this is a nerdy pursuit what are you doing waltzing around in your cowboy boots with your teased up hair and your stovepipe jeans like what the hell (laughs) you're not you're not cool you're a comedian stop trying to be cool but it worked. Everybody bought it. Everybody thought that Noel Fielding and Russell Brand were really cool. Now, I know that they are no longer, well, I mean, Russell Brand, we can confidently say that Russell Brand lost the plot in, in various ways. Noel Fielding is on the Great British Bake Off, which might be cool. I don't know. <laughs> I don't actually know whether that's, maybe that's like the coolest thing he could possibly do. I'm, I'm not really sure. The other reason I started thinking about all this is that the other week I watched this documentary called Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is just one of the most phenomenal documentaries I have seen in years. The only other thing that I've seen that is anything like this is a documentary called LA 92 about the LA riots, and that documentary is all found footage. And Meet Me in the Bathroom is exactly the same thing. And it's the story of bands like The Strokes, Interpol, The Yeah Yeahs, and all those guys coming up in New York in the mid-2000s. And every single part of it is found footage and it is so lovingly edited and so thoughtfully created and it's so, it's so even-handed. It's very straightforward but it's very kind to its subjects. And the, the thing that you keep noticing as you're watching this documentary is that on stage, everyone is so fucking cool. I mean, the strokes were just untouchable. But then they cut to interviews with them. And they're just, they're just melting under the gaze of the camera and the interviewer's questions. And they, they don't know what to say. And they're 
stumbling over their words and they, they can't look at each other. As soon as they get off stage, they're just, it all falls away. And there's this scene where the Yeah Yeah Yeahs are doing a free concert post 9-11 to people in Brooklyn. You know, there's people on rooftops and people filling the street. It's an outdoor concert. And um, yeah, there's these shots of the crowd. And you just see like all these sort of early 20s kids and they're at a free concert put on by one of their favorite bands. And they're all just like stone-faced. They're all trying so hard to be cool, to not show that they're having a really great time, actually. It's, it's something like so so sweet and moving about that, that effort that they're all going to. So I've been thinking about all this and thinking again about this question of poetry's glamour, poetry's cred, this strange sense of coolness that that seems to be moving through at the moment and how far away that is from my own experience. You know when you said it went well? Well, when you said well, did you mean shite? Yes. I froze up. I just made a tit of myself. How much of a tit? I said girl power. Like, maybe it's just because I'm so awkward and I bring so much awkwardness to every interaction, but I can't get past this this sense of how hilarious it is that poetry could possibly be cool. Because for me, awkwardness is one of the defining features of being part of a poetic community. That has been the primary mode, the primary lens through which I have viewed uh, poetry for as long as I've been involved. It's always been awkwardness first. I've mentioned many, many times before on this show about how I used to rock up to readings here in Melbourne, you know, fresh from Canberra. You know, a huge, huge part of the reason I made that episode about Canberra and about why, what it was like to live there and, and, and grow up there and stay there for way too long is because I wanted to communicate just how deeply uncool we all were and what a sense of whiplash it was to get to Melbourne and to be kind of dropped into this scene where everybody just seemed so impossibly cool to me. And I used to go to these readings and I used to stand at the back and just get drenched in flop sweat and then leave without saying anything to anyone. And I hated that. I hated myself for doing that because I, I also had, again, back to the comedy thing, I had this, this line running in my head that was like, you know, you've got, you've got to get past, you've got to bomb so many times before you can get better. And to me, those social interactions were like the equivalent of bombing on stage. And so to go to a reading and like not even talk to anyone, that was basically like going to an open mic and and not even having the courage to get up. So I would force myself to talk to people. Like <laughs> I was a nightmare. I would go to readings and I would have these interactions with people that I was in no way equipped for. I had no confidence or skills. I can remember going up to this poet at Collected Works at a reading and um, I'm gonna have to obscure everybody's identities here because some of these people might listen 
or might be recognizable. And it's not their fault that I'm <laughs> that I'm so awkward. It's absolutely not their fault. So I went to Collected Works and um, recognized this poet, and I had read her collection, and I really liked it. It it really it meant a lot to me. So I I went up to her, and I said, um, "Oh hi, are you uh, are you Daisy Steiner?" Um, Oh, I just wanted to say I just I absolutely loved your um oh gosh, I I've forgotten the name. <laughs> I've forgotten the name of the collection actually. Uh but your book, I really I really love it. And while I was um forgetting the name of this book that I supposedly loved so much, I was obviously leaning so close to this person that she felt that she had to take a step backwards. And when she took a step backwards, she stepped onto maybe the leg of a chair or something like that. And she ended up kind of falling backwards into a bookshelf. Seriously, this is, this is round one. <laughs> this is round one of me trying to, trying to interact with this. This is, just, this is just one example. I have hundreds of these. Another time I went to a reading and I thought I recognized this guy and I thought I kind of knew the sort of poetry that he wrote again like what is my goal here I've got I just have this like bullheaded sense like I have to talk to people if I don't talk to people then nothing will happen (laughs) and I will remain Canberran forever so I'm standing next to this guy and I'm I'm so nervous and I'm sweating like a pig and at a certain point I'm like you just you just got to say something so I I say um oh hi are you um are you Daisy Steiner? Are you the poet who writes about um girl power? And he just walked away. And what I realized afterwards, as I was walking home covered in shame, was that he hadn't even heard me. It was so quiet in saying that to him that he hadn't even clocked that I was saying anything. Hi, how are you? How? How are you? How are you? How are you? Again, I have hundreds of these. I'm sure that you really don't want to listen to any more of this, but I just have one more that I just want to share. I went to a reading um, and, you know, being a a good poetry nerd, I was like, I'm going to buy the books as well. So it was a, a double header and I bought both books. I was like, look at me go, spending my money on the books fantastic and you know what I'm going to do today I'm going to get those books signed so I went up to the table and I handed the book over and I said would you mind signing this book for me or probably something way more awkward than that and the poet just kind of smiled and um sort of narrowed their eyes a little bit and didn't really do anything and I was like oh uh what have I done this doesn't seem like it's going very well and uh, I think he just sort of turned away and started talking to someone else and I was just sort of standing there and, um, yeah, realised. I'd asked him to sign the other poet's book. And, you know, it would be great if all these stories were, like, so much a part of the distant past that, you know, I could laugh at them and, and say, oh, I'm, I'm so different now, though. I'm, I'm, this is... Poor younger Alice, she just, she struggled so hard, but we came through. But this is exactly how I still am. 
100%. Like, this is, this is still exactly how I still move through the world. And I think part of the reason that I make a podcast is that what I get to do after I record this is go back and edit it and smooth it the fuck out so you think that I sound really cool. But imagine if I put it out unedited. You would cringe. You would cringe. There's a great uh, ContraPoints video that she put out in the middle of the pandemic called Cringe. And in it, she talks about in-group cringe, which I think is a wonderful concept to think about in terms of poetry because, because it's one thing to cringe at something embarrassing that somebody else has done who's sort of outside your social circle. But when somebody who you think of as the same as you does something embarrassing, the cringe is so much stronger because it's like, oh, God, you're embarrassing all of us. You're making us all look bad. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think that is part of the reason why I make a podcast. But it's also, it's a big part of the reason why I write poetry. Because on the page, on the page you have so much more control over how you come off. Well, I mean, hopefully you do. On the page you can be so cool, or at least you have the opportunity to be cool. I was thinking about Forbes' poem, Europe Endless, which I spoke about in that Forbes episode a year ago, and just about how impossibly cool that poem is. I, I know I've read it before, but I'm, I'm going to read it again so you have it in your ears. Like, to me, this is just, I mean, it's funny. It's, it's, it's so, like... It's heartbreaking, but in this way that's really, really, really light touch. I know, I just, I just think it's fantastic. This is Europe Endless by John Forbes. Fair hair and driving for hours along a freezing highway. It's true, she said. Our rock music's shit. But we invented sexual attraction. Didn't you know? in the 12th century. I mean, they had it before, but not as a central defining principle in the subject's relation to the other. I looked across at her, her fine-boned face and deep, serious eyes. Thanks, I said. Thanks a lot. I mean, imagine ending your poem with thanks a lot. It's so cool. It's so fucking cool. I feel cooler reading it. <laughs> but so I was I was at this poetry event the other night. I ended up talking about the podcast to somebody and he was saying, oh, well, where should I start, you know? And I said, well, I think if you're going to listen to just one episode, then maybe listen to... The one about John Forbes. Well, I guess that's two episodes, but listen to the one about Forbes. But actually, no, before I, before I said that to him, before I suggested this, I said, how do you feel about John Forbes? And he said, oh, uh, he was a friend and contemporary of mine. I, I love John Forbes. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, great. Um, well, yeah, listen to the John Forbes episode. And then this guy went on to say, it's, I don't know if this was him like establishing his bona fides or like 
Uh, I don't really know why he included this detail, but he said, you know, Forbes was very awkward. He was always saying awkward things, and a lot of the time he was, you know, tripping over something, falling into things. And I was just like, oh my god, what a fucking gift. Like, (laughs) it just made me love him even more. Like, all I know about Forbes, besides what I learned when I made that episode, the only sense of him as a person that I have is that photo of him where he's standing there. I think he's like holding a beer or a cigarette or something. I think he's wearing a leather jacket. He has this aura of like coolness about him and all the poems are so fucking cool. And then to know that he's like this awkward mess who can't like walk through a room without tripping. I was just like, oh my God, that's so fantastic. I'm so happy to know this. Yeah, it just, it just, it made me love him even more. Because maybe it's that same impulse for him, right? Like maybe because he was really awkward. Maybe that's why he wrote poems that were so cool. I mean, I sort of get the sense that he couldn't really help it. I think that's just how he turned out on the page. But yeah, I know for me, it's like, that's where I get to be my most interesting self. That's the best part of myself. And that's probably why it stings so much when it doesn't work and send a poem out and it comes back or, you know, people don't get it. And you're sort of like, ah, even with all that time and effort, <laughs> I still didn't manage to, like, communicate that best side of me. Damien Hurst, Heiss, Brian, um, Balva, I'm talking to Damien. Is it water with the sheep in the, in the box? No, I, I, I paint lots of work with paint. I do big... Big, big fucking loser. Yeah, yeah, big loser. Brian, painter loser. Big fucking loser. Obviously, there are far worse things than being awkward. And coolness can be a prison, you know, like, who wants to try to be cool all the time? Like, that's exhausting. There's a part of this, going back to the conversation I had with Caroline Williamson, there's a part of that drive, that impulse to be cool, that can kind of cancel out sincerity, make it difficult to be real. We can hold parts of ourselves back in trying to be cool. So yeah, I'd hate for any of this to come across as an argument like for coolness over awkwardness. It's really just me trying to acknowledge that like awkwardness is, is uh, like I said, my primary mode of being. And It's funny because some days I feel like it's the one thing we all are and the one thing that we aren't allowed to be. So that's what I have for you today. I've got here, I've spent the morning printing things out, like I said, I've got e-ticket, customs and border protection form, Esther form, hotel booking, Airbnb booking, insurance form, like... I should be right, right? I feel like I've forgotten something. I haven't been overseas in such a long time. I'm not, I honestly have a bit of a fear that they're not going to let me out of the country. I am going away for five weeks. I wouldn't expect another episode of Poetry Says 
for about that time. I'm not taking all my gear with me. It's pretty difficult to put the show together without all my stuff. But who knows, maybe I'll get bored and I'll put something out. I'll be back. I will be back, but not for a little while. I'm not going over to Brooklyn to make the show. Uh, That might end up happening. But yeah, I don't really have much lined up. I'm, I'm really just doing this for myself. Since we left New York in 2016, I've, I've thought about it every week, about how much I wanted to go back there, about how much I learned while I was there. Um, it's just a holiday. It feels like the first proper holiday I've had in, in quite some time. As always, I so appreciate you listening. And hey, if you, if you get, like, if you miss the show... I mean, first of all, God bless you if you missed the show. But if you're like a newer listener and you kind of want to go back to listen to some older ones, but you're not sure which ones are going to be worth your time, uh, I want to recommend a couple before I sign off. 152, Nonsense and Crying, is me at my craziest and and honestly just a lot of fun. And that was... That was the episode where I kind of made a decision, like, fuck it, I'm going to do exactly what I want with this show, and uh, forever grateful to Kay for going along with me on that one. Recommend that. Recommend 122 with Antonia Pont, because she is a genius. Yeah, I'm, I'm just super fucking proud of that conversation. Um, 106 with David Brooks. David Brooks is a huge hero of mine. Uh, I haven't heard from him in quite a while. I'm a little bit concerned that he's maybe, like, I'm not really sure what's happening there, but I love him. I love his work, and making that episode was a huge uh, moment for me. Tom tells me that it's too quiet, <laughs> that no one can hear it. It's one. It's episode 106. I didn't really understand levels, but, like, put some good headphones on and listen to it if you are bored and you are so inclined And yeah, maybe a couple more recent ones. I do think the episode with Baron Field is, um, while mental, uh, very, very fun. And yeah, not really much to do with poetry per se, but 219, this is scripture. Me and Matthew Buckley-Smith talking about the mountain goats. Uh, I'm really proud of that. Matthew seemed like he was really happy with how it turned out as well. You could listen to that one too. Anyway, I'll link to a bunch of them, and I will be back at some point. I know I'll miss talking to you, but I'm hoping that in a a few weeks' time, not very long, I'll have a few more interesting things to say. Thank you for listening. Oh, Brian, you came. Um, no, I just spilled my drink. So nice to see you. Are you still painting? Not. uh, Multimedia platters irony and self-deprecation sounds a little hard to swallow how do you guys sit down and write a song because i know you write the lyrics but do you no join yeah he writes the song oh and the songs yeah oh, yeah okay yeah, guitar solos everything dude <laughs> really yeah. sure well yeah that's yeah